the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. many of you know you're always going to have critics in life, okay? No matter what you try to do, please take comfort. Jesus, the perfect son of God, had critics. And uh, there will be people who will pick fights and verbal arguments and they'll criticize and they'll say things. And most of it is unfounded. And in the case of Jesus, all of it is unfounded. And he's going to use these three parables to uh, poke them. I don't know how to really say it. I mean, he's just going to, he's going to rattle them to make them realize their own ignorance. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that everyone has critics in their life. No matter how amazing you are or how incredible the things you do are, someone will always have something negative to say. Jesus is the perfect example of this. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the perfect Son of God, completely sinless and full of wisdom. And yet, many people criticize Jesus all the time. No matter what you do, learn to live not for the approval of man, but for the glory of God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. What Jesus is going to do here in the last week, just before he's crucified, is typical of Jewish rabbis in the day. During the Passover time, he's going to go back into the temple area, and he's going to teach. And rabbis in this day would have a certain following, and they would pick a corner of the courtyard area of the temple grounds, and they would just start to teach, and they would have people who would stop and listen, and there would be a a variety of rabbis, and of course, we know Jesus was more than just a good teacher, that he's the Messiah, but nonetheless, here he is seen as a rabbi in his own day, and he's going to go back into Jerusalem uh, each day until he's crucified, and he's just going to teach in the temple court area. And what happens is that, that the people who don't believe in him and don't embrace him and don't accept him, they're going to be antagonistic. Uh, they're going to try to trap him in his words. They're going to pick fights with him. They're going, to, they're going to debate him. And so that's the tone that we're heading into here. The first thing that happens where we left off last week between verses 23 and 27 is, he, is some chief priests and elders come along to Jesus and say, you know, who do you think you are? Who, who gave you the authority? To, to, uh, to do what you do. And Jesus comes back with a great question, and he says, well, I'll answer you if you answer me first. He says, John's baptism, was it of God or was it of men? And they get together because they know that if they say it was of men, that the crowds are going to, you know, uh, stone them, 
And if they say that it was of God, then Jesus is going to challenge them. Well, then why didn't you obey him? So they come back and they say, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, then neither will I answer your question. And what Jesus is saying is, you, you question my authority, but I question whether or not you are competent enough to question my authority. And in the end, he proves that they are incompetent. Now, what's going to happen here, starting at verse 28, where we left off last week, is that Jesus is going to teach now a series of three parables. And if your Bibles are subtitled like mine is, it'll say the parable of the sons, starting at verse 28, and then it goes to the parable of the tenants in verse 33. And then it continues even into chapter 22, where it says the parable of the wedding banquet. So we're going to take a look at these three parables, and maybe even more tonight, depending on our time. Again, the word parable from two Greek words, para, balo, para meaning alongside, and balo meaning to call. A parable is something that you, that you call alongside, or rather to throw, sorry, balo means to throw, that you throw alongside of to illustrate a spiritual truth. And Jesus is a master at this. He'll use modern uh, terms and scenes and culture to illustrate a, a deeper spiritual truth. And one of the first things he talks about here is a parable of the two sons. Now, each of these three parables are directed towards his critics. And how many of you know you're always going to have critics in life, okay? No matter what you try to do, please take comfort. Jesus, the perfect son of God, had critics. And uh, there will be people who will pick fights and verbal arguments, and they'll criticize, and they'll say things, and most of it is unfounded. And in the case of Jesus, all of it is unfounded. And he's going to use these three parables to uh, poke them. I don't know how to really say it. I mean, he's just going to, he's going to rattle them to make them realize their own ignorance. And he's going to do it in such a subtle way that the first parable, they don't know he's talking about them. Second parable, they realize he's talking about them. Third parable, they have to sit there and listen. We have the vantage point of Scripture to have a bird's eye view to know what Jesus was saying here. These guys here who are antagonistic towards Jesus, they're, they're not, they, don't have any understand, they don't have any spiritual ears to hear this. They're going to be awakened, but they won't really necessarily agree with it. So in the first parable, the parable of the two sons, there's going to be a few principal people here. He's going to talk about the father in this story, and that really is a picture of God. He's going to talk about the first son, and that's a picture of sinners in general. And then he's going to talk about another son, and that is about them. They're the unbelieving religious leaders. So here's the story, verse 28. Jesus says, well, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. So here's father, God. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. Talking about John the Baptist. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So he uses this little parable. He says, look, there's this dad. He has these two sons. He says to the one son, go to the vineyard. First son says, I won't go, but later changed his mind. And it's a picture of repentance. For those of you who like to take notes, the Greek word for to repent is metanoeo, 
metanoeo, from two Greek words, meta meaning to change, and noeo meaning to exercise the mind. So literally, repentance means to change the mind or more practically, to change the the course of direction that you're on in life. To repent is to, in, in the strictest biblical sense, it is to recognize your own sinful heart and that you're on the wrong path and you're going away from God because of your sinful life. So repenting is to acknowledge your sinfulness before God, to change your mind in relation to the path that you're on, and to turn the other direction and go towards God. So that's repentance. So this first son is a picture of someone who changes his mind. At first, he says, I'm not going to go. And, and, he, and he's stubborn. And, he, and, he, and he's obstinate. So it's a picture of a sinner who's obstinate towards God. I will not. And I'm disobedient towards God. But in the end, he changes his mind. And he goes. And he works in the vineyard. So it's a picture of a sinner who's obstinate, disobedient against the Father, who's God, but then changes his mind, repents, if you will, and does what is right and obeys, obeys the Father. The second son is the guy who says, yeah, I will, but he doesn't. So he disobeys the Father in the end, even though he gives lip service that he's going to do it. And Jesus is pointing out to them, you, you guys are the second son. You guys are the ones who talk about all these things, but yet your heart is disobedient toward God, and that's why then when they answer the parable correctly, you know, which guy really obeyed the Father, and they say, well, the first one. And he says, yeah, that's true, but because they can't see themselves as being the second son, Jesus says, I want you to know tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom ahead of you guys. Because the tax collectors and prostitutes, what in those days would have been clearly known as, well, these are the sinners. These are the guys who are aligned with Rome, and the prostitutes are the ones committing sexual sin and stuff. But these are the ones who are actually going to get into the kingdom ahead of you, because while though at first they're the ones who are disobedient towards God, by changing the mind and repenting, they turn towards God, they're on their way to the kingdom. You religious leaders, instead, you're obstinate, you're stubborn, you have a lot of lip service towards God, but your heart is not right towards him. You don't even respond to the message of John the Baptist. Jesus is pointing out to them, you are that second son. Now, they first, they don't get it yet. You know, he challenges, he rebukes them, but they don't realize these parables are about them. Second parable, the parable of the tenants. Now, when you get to the parable of the tenants, you've got a few more players in in this story here. You have a landowner, and it's going to be a picture of God. You have uh, first tenants. These are people who are renting uh, this this, uh, vineyard, and they are the unbelieving religious leaders. And then you're going to hear about servants. They represent prophets. There's a son in this story, a son of the landowner, and that's a picture of Jesus, the son. And then you have other tenants in this story, and they are going to be a picture of those who end up repenting and believing. So here's how this parable goes. So verse 33, he's speaking again still to these critics of his. And he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. 
Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Now, before we see their answers, Jesus, again, is painting this big picture, and he's using language to communicate spiritual truth. He talks about a landowner. It's really a picture of God. And what does God send? God sends prophets to communicate the truth, but unfortunately, what do they do? They kill the prophets. You know, if you don't want to hear the truth, you either escape or you do something to the person speaking the truth. And in this case, what happens is often they kill the prophets. We don't want to hear this truth. They kill the prophets. So what does God do? He sends more prophets. They kill them. What does God do after that? Well, God sends his son. He sends Jesus. But what they're going to end up doing is killing the son as well. And he's showing them their own past, how they've killed the prophets because they didn't want to hear the truth of God, and how they're going to kill him, who's the son in this story, because they don't believe that he's Messiah. And so then Jesus asks the question there in verse 40. He says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they answer, well, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Now, what they actually end up saying is true because Jesus came first to his own and his own received them not. So the kingdom is going to be opened up to other tenants, if you will. It's going to be made available to anyone who wants to repent and believe. And even by their own admission, they're saying, well, those first tenants, man, they're wretched. They ought to be be treated uh, like they deserve. And and the other tenants, there should be other tenants that, that get to rent the vineyard. And Jesus said to them then, verse 42, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? talking about himself, that he's been rejected by them. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting from Psalm 118. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit, those who will repent and believe. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, what does he mean by this? What he means is this. Look, When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, one of two things is going to happen. Either you will be broken or you will be crushed. And by that, what he means is, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it will either be a breaking effect. You will be humbled. You will be broken in a good sense. Broken of self. Broken of of, uh, selfishness. Broken of pride. Broken of all those things that, that are about me. You will be broken. However, if you do not respond in brokenness to Jesus, then the result will be a crushing effect, that there will be judgment eventually for all who reject the capstone, reject the cornerstone, reject Jesus. So it is much better to come to Jesus and to be broken than it is to come to Jesus in pride and arrogance and eventually be crushed. Now, David David would write in Psalm 51, verse 17, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In our culture, we tend to 
discard things that are broken. We devalue things that are broken. If you break something at your house, if you break a picture, you break a vase, you will usually consider it of no value now, and you'll usually throw it away or sell it at a yard sale or something like that. And so in our culture, we tend to think of broken things as being devalued. But in God's scheme of things, he sees broken things as of great value. Because when we are broken before him, then he does his good and wonderful work in our lives. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What God is always looking for in us is that place of brokenness. To be broken over sin, to be broken over our pride, to be broken over uh, our own self-sufficiency, to be broken over our own self-reliance and come to that place of humility to Jesus and say, Lord, I I just want to be your man or your woman and I I want to be broken before you. I want to be humble before you so that then, what does God say? God says he will humble the proud and he will exalt the humble. And it's always this reverse in the kingdom from the way that we typically think in our world and the way we're typically taught in our world. You know, the world generally teaches you want to get ahead, you step over anybody to get ahead. Jesus says you want to be first, be last. Because when we're last and when we humble ourselves and when we're broken before him, then God promotes and God advances and God will use us and God opens the doors. And it's wonderful to see how God honors his own word. And he can do far more through brokenness in our lives than we can do through our own wholeness. And so he speaks here about this option. Better to be broken than it is to be crushed. He says in verse 44, He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Now they get it. Look at the next verse. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Now, there's a chapter break here, but Jesus isn't done. He's got another parable for them. Now they figured it out, but he's got another one. So Jesus spoke to them again. Notice verse 1 of chapter 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. All right, so before I get any further, let's take a look. Here's some of the characters in this parable. You have a king. This is going to be a picture of God. You have the son of the king. This is a picture of Jesus. He's going to talk about servants. Again, these are going to be the prophets. You have invited guests to this wedding banquet. They are going, the first invited guests are the unbelieving religious leaders. It's going to be directed at them. You're going to have other guests, and that will be those that it's open. The kingdom is going to be open to all who repent and believe. And then you're going to find this strange character in the wedding banquet, one guest who doesn't have on the right wedding clothes, and he's a picture of one who thought his own righteousness was good enough. So with that in mind, let's, let's make our way through this. So, he, so um, the king sends, his, uh, sends servants to those who have been invited to the banquet, tell them to come, but they refuse to come. These are the first guests. These are the unbelieving religious leaders. They're not going to come. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't want to accept who he is. So then, verse 4, then he sent some more servants and said, some more prophets, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. These are the first guests. These are the religious leaders. They paid no attention and they went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. 
Again, it's the killing of the prophets. We don't want to hear what, what God says. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Here are the second guests. The, look, the invitation to the kingdom of God is open to anybody. It's open to everybody. Go to the street corners and invite anybody to come, he says. Verse 10, So the servants went into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So come one, come all, those who are good, relatively speaking, and those who are bad, relatively speaking, because they all need to get saved. All are invited to come into the kingdom of God. There's this banquet that is prepared. And by the way, the Bible speaks about it like this. Revelation tells us that the bride has made herself ready, meaning the church, and that Jesus is coming again to take us to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. And, and so there is this picture of this culmination. When Jesus comes again, he's going to gather the church, and there's going to be a, a, the, the culmination of our salvation. There's going to be this banquet, and we are the bride, and we're preparing ourselves to be ready for the return of the groom, that Jesus is the one that we're ultimately married to in the sense of this wedding banquet. And so the invitation is to all go and find all, good and bad, bring them into the hall. It was filled with guests. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. I mean, I, you know, I hope that didn't happen at your wedding where somebody showed up, wasn't really dressed well enough, and you tie him up and throw him outside. Now, obviously, Jesus, Jesus is using terms here to express judgment. Somebody that showed up to the wedding banquet, they didn't have on the right clothes. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, if you cross-reference, I'll just read there. You don't need to turn. But in Revelation chapter uh, 19 talks about uh, this, the return of Christ, and it says in Revelation 19, 6, Hallelujah, for our Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then in parenthesis, it adds, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. What happens here is you have this picture of the kingdom of God, you have the king, you have the wedding banquet of his son, Jesus is coming again, there's going to be the ultimate marriage of the bride, the church is the bride, but you can't come in your own righteousness. Nobody's going to be accepted into the kingdom in your own righteousness or your own goodness. There's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says, so what do we have to come? We have to come in the righteousness of Christ. We have to be clothed in his righteousness. So Jesus is teaching this whole parable to get them to understand that they are the rebellious ones. They are the ones who were invited first, and they decide, we don't want to come. And, and he's wanting them to see themselves. Like, you know, the, this invitation is open to you, but you're so arrogant and so stubborn, and you don't want to come, so the invitation is going to be given to all who want to come. But you can't come in your own righteousness. You have to come through faith in Jesus. And when you come into the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, you are clothed in His righteousness. Otherwise, there's just judgment. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know